Hey everybody, good afternoon. This is Donna. And my kids are home. Well, they're not kids. They're 18 and 20. They're downstairs playing their guitars and it is raining outside. So if you hear noise in the background, bear with me. (laughs) Overlook it. My dogs also get squirrely when it's raining or storming at all. So we'll see how this goes today. Welcome, welcome. Today, I want to talk about why I meditate. And it just strikes me that's hilarious because this is not the most quiet or zen time in my household. (laughs) And I'm talking about meditating. Let's jump in. I want to start off with a little uh, Buddhist parable. A Japanese master once received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. The master served tea. He poured his visitor's cup full, and then he kept pouring. The professor watched the cup continue to overflow until he could no longer restrain himself. It is over full, he said. No more will go in. Like this cup, the master replied, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? End quote. Meditation is the single most important practice if we want to up-level. Whether it is a physical or a mental or a spiritual change that we are wanting, meditation seems to be the answer. Certainly, if there was a single practice that I could choose for everyone to take up, this would be it. And it is not instant or easy, but it will eventually change you at every level of your being. Now, I would imagine many of you listening to this already meditate. You have experienced meditation, and you you probably know a lot about it. I want to share this as a resource that you can point your friends and family to. Those who maybe don't know much about meditation or haven't considered it, but they need a tool. Providing this as a tool that you can pass on. I want to touch on the quantum field here because ultimately that's really what we're tapping into with meditation. And the quantum field is, of course, what we work with also Uh, When we're doing QHHT, uh, when Diane and I are doing sessions, QHHT is quantum healing hypnosis technique. So as I've mentioned many times before, (laughs) quantum physicists have discovered that all matter and non-matter is energy, of course, and they are beginning to understand and sort of study how when reduced to the most subatomic state energy is turning out to be information. The quantum field is this infinite field of possibility or information from which consciousness creates matter. Part of the magic of meditation, besides increasing our presence and our awareness and clearing out old kind of useless or undesirable or outdated stuff, Part of the magic is the ability to tap into this field of all past, present, and future experiences 
and all possibilities or potentiality. Now, I didn't know any of this when I started meditating. This was somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago, probably. And Diana actually introduced me to meditation. I started out attending a sangha with her where different paths or methods were presented, which was a spectacular beginning that um, I realized not everyone has. I was drawn to meditation for no particular reason except uh, maybe that it was esoteric, and I was getting into all things esoteric at that time. Not long after that, I began to move into a period of decline and then desperation. My perfect storm of hitting a bottom actually started with having panic attacks and then complete adrenal failure, which forced me to change careers. And then around the same time, learning about the darkest parts of my abusive childhood that had been blocked from my consciousness and the long road of healing from that and pretty much peeling off of every mask that I had ever worn or identified with during my life were all pieces and uh, parts of this hitting bottom picture. So meditation was very much a lifeline during my intensive healing process uh, to subsequent career changes. And um, along that same time was the middle school and high school years of parenting. (laughs) So meditation is now a daily practice and very much necessary to my well-being. So after my initial panic attacks and initial decline, and I had to leave my career in corporate management, I managed tax offices, I then went into law enforcement. I started my second career in law enforcement, which is funny, I know, trying to move into a lower stress, less responsibility environment (laughs) and ending up there. But those were the days when I was a closet meditator. So I began working for a police department within an incredibly abusive environment. I'd I dealt with low morale plenty of times before because, you know, having managed offices and stuff, and I knew exactly how to improve it from all those um, corporate leadership training events that I got to be a part of for 13 years. But this was an entirely different problem. The turnover there was 300%. And we had gone from a 14-officer department. There was actually only eight officers when I started there. Um, to having only four remaining officers, and all of them had secret exit plans (laughs) just as soon as they could get hired on somewhere else. So my first three months were spent working incognito to get city council to fire the chief, who was the person responsible for the abusive environment. And keep in mind, city council was who had hired this person, and they were reluctant, to say the least, to admit that they had made such a costly mistake. They did replace the chief three months after I started, and the environment changed to one of a warm family under the new chief. Very, very beautiful uh, environment after the new chief, chief came. But my internal pressure began to intensify as I took on more and more functions. I was managing case evidence, assisting in investigations, doing forensic interviews, managing the department budget, 
and um, walking applicants, whom of course we needed so badly to refill the force, walking them through the very intimidating hiring process, which was involved uh, psychological evaluations and in-depth background checks, polygraphs, oral boards, chief interviews, not to mention, of course, reams of paperwork. I also sat on several boards and committees to represent the department and assisted our new school resource officer in developing programs and training for safety in the schools and wrote grants for equipment purchases (laughs) in between all my regular duties. So I was overwhelmed to say the least. And at home, my teenage boys needed a mom more than ever. Uh, I, I tried to give my husband some sort of attention and love And I was working the 12-step ACA program as part of my recovery during that time. So meditation served me so well. Uh, It kept me sane. It provided wisdom and perspective and balance. And I have this little walk-in closet where the walk-in part was about three by three foot square. So in the early mornings during these years, before everyone else was up and, you know, needing things, <laughs> I'd sit in my closet and meditate. And it might be for 20 minutes or even just five minutes. But the days that I did not meditate were night and day different than the days that I did. And this was the time that really cemented the importance of meditation for me. I share that little story because I know that many of you out there have very, very busy lives. You're you're under a lot of stress, both personally and professionally. And if you aren't practicing meditation or if you haven't really uh, tried a daily committed practice, you you might give it a try. You might uh, think about that because I can testify to the fact that it makes a huge difference. So what all can meditation do? Well, for sure, number one, it trains the mind to do what we need it to when we need it to. It can be as simple as holding focus on what someone is saying so as to receive it deeply and remember it. Uh, Meditation definitely quiets the mind for relaxation or sleep to occur. Lots of times when we are very stressed or very busy, we have a a difficult time turning off the mind, yes? Another part of training the mind would be redirecting our constant stream of, of thoughts. So kind of the stream of consciousness that goes on automatically, redirecting that to desired or even useful thought processes. And it's just very important, as I've talked about in the episodes on the shift and ascension, that we do train our minds and that we do become very, very aware of what we are thinking because we are shifting to a higher dimension where our thoughts become instantly manifest. Already, our emotions and our thoughts are creating tangible energies that are affecting our realities. So it's important now and in the future we will actually not be allowed to move into the next dimension until we learn at least a modicum of control over our own minds. The second thing that meditation can do for us is expanding the mind. 
Meditation serves as a gateway to our higher chakras and our higher levels of consciousness. For the last several thousand years, humanity has been living primarily from their lower chakras, those that hold our survival instincts, our sexual and social pleasures, or what we might call our hedonistic pleasures, especially here in America, which is still a very, very young country and has been inhabited by younger souls, um, more so than, say, like Tibet, India, or Peru. Um, we have this things that go along with the younger souls, um, which is also associated with the lower chakras. So things like greed and violence and immature or harmful sexuality have been rampant here because we have been living from our, our lower chakras. The following information that I'm going to share is taken from The Flower of Life, Volume 2, by Junvalo Melchizedek. In the 1960s, about 20 million Americans used psychedelic drugs, which are not addictive like pleasure drugs. They used these psychedelic drugs to open up the gateway that has been a block between the third and fourth chakras. Specifically, they used LSD-25. Now, older, we could even say ancient civilizations, also have used various psychedelics. The Incas used San Pedro cactus mixed with a little coca leaf, which is different than cocaine, by the way. Native Americans used peyote. Uh, Egyptians used the Amanita mushroom. And there's been others. However, these cultures had systems of initiation wherein the person using the, these psychedelics was carefully introduced to other states of consciousness a little at a time and prepared for what they might encounter, and then counseled on how to integrate the experiences that they had. The 1960s Americans had no such initiations before being blasted into the higher chakras, usually the heart where they landed with a sense of expansion and love and becoming one with all of creation. The problem with psychedelics is that once they wear off, the person comes right back into the lower chakras and the third dimensional reality. So then the people focused on ways to get back to those higher states of consciousness without using drugs. Hence, we began to see an explosion of gurus and yogis and meditation and other forms of spiritual or energetic practices. Pleasure drugs like crack, opium, cocaine, etc., tend to enhance the lower chakras and make the user feel good, but then traps them in those lower chakras. Especially cocaine seems to enhance the ego, uh, which would be the, the illusion, the temporary part of us, and pulls users in the opposite direction of spirituality. The physical addiction mirrors the spiritual entrapment. All of that to say, my second point here, <laughs> meditation can expand the mind without using drugs or substances. And my boys are now uh, talking in a loud voices down there, so just ignore that, ignore that. See, I'm introducing you to what my meditation practice is like in my home. <laughs> I'm meditating, just ignore <laughs> 
<laughs> Number three, the third thing that meditation uh, can do for us, connect us to our higher power. And this is similar to expanding the mind because it all goes hand in hand. The same as prayer or contemplation, we can transcend the human ego mind and raise our frequency and communicate with the higher self or other beings or even intelligent infinity, God, source, whatever it is that you call your higher or highest power. Number four, meditation quiets us enough for revelation or solutions to come through. I receive wisdom this way because I am tapped into the quantum field when I meditate. And my guides or my higher self gives me information via this this quantum field. Many uh, visions and healings and instructions, understandings, things like that come to me during meditation. Number five, meditation creates balance. It balances us. It physically connects the right and the left brain. And this provides balance in all of life from the way we behave to reducing or eliminating the feeling we call stress. And balance that begins in the mind will manifest in our outer world as greater balance between doing and being between uh, the yin and the yang energies, between all the dualities which require balance in this world that we're in. We also can hold awareness so as to observe certain physical sensations of the body or process through emotions that might be blocking or unbalancing us. Number six, meditation teaches us to be in the heart. So anytime that we can focus or quiet the mind, we can practice listening to and being in our heart. And this is the direct connection to, or you could say the seat of our soul. This is where we can work directly with our innate love energy. Number seven, meditation, meditation helps us know ourself and accept ourself. So we are, of course, endlessly complex beings, and it's helpful to actually put intention and time into coming to know ourselves and understanding who we are at different levels of our being. Meditation lets us just observe, observe ourselves and learn our own patterns and rhythms. And number eight, Many, many documented physical and mental health benefits of meditation are out there if you care to look them up or uh, research any of that. Because it aligns the mind and the body to work together towards health, there are just almost endless, really, (laughs) physical and mental health benefits. Dr. Deepak Chopra says, Meditation is the second most healing practice that we do behind getting enough good sleep, end quote. A couple quotes that I have here from Richard Rohr. The first one says, Contemplation changes the seer, not what they see. Richard Rohr uh, talks about contemplation, same concepts, a little bit of a different 
maybe practice, but definitely the uh, same concepts as meditation. His second quote goes like this, the simpler it is, the harder it is to teach, <laughs> uh, end quote. And that is very, very true, I feel like, of meditation. Meditation is one of those things, that's why they call it a practice. You have to jump in and just practice it. Um, you can read about it, you can listen to things about it, you can watch things on YouTube about it, but n- none of that is going to do anything for you until you jump in and actually begin to experience it and see where it goes for you. The Rala of One books give some specific instruction about meditation. They say meditate on power, and then meditate on love, and then meditate on wisdom, and continue cycling that way. And that is interesting. It is an interesting thing to do, especially if you've been meditating for a while. Uh, Try that. See where that leads you. In closing, I just want to say, meditation definitely has (laughs) trade-offs. I started off by saying it is not easy. It takes discipline. It definitely also has trade-offs. It it requires personal discipline and intention, but it is free. That's the trade-off. It takes time, yes, but it gives some things that are very, very difficult to come by in this world, like health and wisdom, and peace, and much, much more. And what's funny, I'm just sitting here kind of smiling because you have no idea. I've stopped this recording four times and had to edit out interruptions. The UPS man came, so the dogs started barking, and the boys came upstairs and were slamming doors uh, just because they weren't really aware of what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, so... Just to give you an idea of what goes on here, it's it's not all peaceful and easy and smooth. And that, my friends, is a wonderful picture of how meditation will probably go for you. It might not be all peaceful and easy and smooth, but in the practice of it, it's going to give you so many uh, profound things. Your additional resources for today... The first thing is I want to tell you about my favorite meditation tool. It is an app that I use on my phone, and it's called the Insight Timer. There is a free version of it, and there is a low-cost version of it, which opens up a few more things. It has a lot of guided meditations, everything from music to uh, different themes. Like if, if, for instance, you say... I would like to meditate on practicing loving kindness, maybe. You can put that in and come up with lots of different lengths and styles of meditations themed around loving kindness. And it just goes on and on and on with the subjects, and it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful meditation teachers on there. As well, it's a timer, so you can use it for any length of time you want to meditate. You can use it for different types of meditation, uh, like maybe walking is a meditation for you, or even practicing yoga, all different types of meditation. 
And then there are groups. So it's a little bit, it can be a little bit of a social platform if you want that. You don't have to participate in that, but you can friend people and people can friend you from all over the world. Even when I sign on, there's this map of the world that comes up and there's these little blinking dots that that blip up as people are signing in to the timer. So that's fun. But the groups are one of the, the most beautiful parts of it. I'm part of a group that is a gratitude group. And I love going on there every day if I can and spending at least a little bit of time reading through the gratitudes that people post. There is this uplifting, transformative even energy about reading other people's gratitudes. It's beautiful. And then there's groups about just about anything and everything else that you can imagine. I also am part of a Rumi group and a Be Here Now group, things like that. So the Insight Timer, as you can tell, I am a big fan. And then Deepak Chopra and Oprah actually do 21-day meditation series together. They always pick a theme to do their 21-day meditation experiences around, and they do them, I think it's four times a year. It's either three or four times a year that they do these. So if you just go online and look up Deepak Chopra and Oprah 21-day meditations, you'll see um, a place where you can sign up to be notified of the next one. Now, while they are doing the 21-day series, the meditations are free. Afterwards, they do them all together in a collection and they're available for purchase. So you'll see that too. I do recommend if, if you can find a group or a meditation teacher or even a retreat in your area, especially if you're starting out in meditation, that can be very, very helpful uh, way to jump in because it can be a little bit intimidating when you don't know what the different styles are out there, or maybe how you're supposed to do it, even though there's really no right or wrong way to do it. Um, Along this subject, there are lots of YouTube meditation instructions and styles. So if, if you are not in an area or in a place where you can do a group or a retreat, definitely you can still check out YouTube and find many, many things there. I especially recommend Tara Brock. Her meditations and even her talks are just fantastic and so helpful. Remember to visit our author website at ddadare.com and let us know what questions you have about any information that we share. Also, you can sign up for an email notification if you would like to know when our Atlantis book series is published. Coming up in the near future. Thank you for your time today. Many, many blessings on you and blessings on your day.